Welcome to the first More Better podcast today. We're talking a little bit about social media and arguing on social media and how language and the principle of first mention creates these walls and barriers uh, to conversation and growing and how we can actually have fruitful conversation on social media. Enjoy this first episode of More Better. It's gonna be amazing. Hello friends, welcome to the first podcast of More Better. This is in the middle of um, the pandemic, coronavirus, COVID-19, and a lot of other things, um, like the George Floyd uh, killing and death and uh, protests and riots and, you know, election coming up, um, all the things. Spending time in quarantine for multiple months. I think it's been like six months now. I've been working from home for six months. It's been a lot. It's been a lot. And so, yeah, I've been thinking about starting a podcast for quite some time now. Um, before this year, even. Uh, I even started a podcast with my wife earlier this year. I put up YouTube videos for a while um, and just never really stuck with a plan of, uh, putting out content, putting out, uh, just even just putting the time to plan and to think about what I wanted a podcast to be about, what I wanted um, to say, because there's a lot of things that I could say. There's a lot of things going on in the world that uh, I think just needs a voice, needs perspective on, needs a perspective from someone who <laughs> is young um, who's, you know, a follower of Jesus, uh, and who, you know, loves culture and loves to engage in politics and, um, just really interested in people and how things work nowadays. Uh, yeah. So if you're listening, thanks for listening. And if you're watching, thanks for watching. <laughs> you can, uh, you know, watch on YouTube, listen on wherever this is going to be, Spotify, iTunes. I'm not sure, but we'll figure it out. But today we're talking a little bit about social media and the outrage and the craziness that we find in social media these days and how language and um, nuance of a lot of topics come into play with social media and how, how can we engage with people? How can we engage uh, and to actually have a conversation instead of yelling at each other, instead of... Um, sharing just fake news and get past some of our biases, get past some of our things that, you know, hard to get past without, without that, uh, face-to-face -face interaction with someone without that personal relationship. And so, yeah, we're going to start out, um, yeah, with just some of the outrage that I see happening. <clears throat> and so, a lot of this is going to be in the context of talking about uh, stuff like race and racism and systemic racism, institutional racism, um, even stuff with the coronavirus, with quarantine and how political everything has gotten. Everything's political and I get it. Um, but I often see people engaging in conversation uh, where we talk past each other, where, you know, people will share stuff on Facebook 
and people will comment and then there'll be, you know, a stream of comments that is often uh, ends with people just talking over each other, talking around each other. Um, I do see productive conversations happening. I've had productive conversations happening on social media, so it is possible. But I think the norm, especially in like the Twitter world, especially in Facebook, uh, people get super brave when they get behind a keyboard. And I think that's a lot of what social media, what the problem with social media is, is that we take out the personal face-to-face -face relationship. So people don't have consequences. Um, they don't necessarily have the empathy for someone. Uh, they don't have any history with the person. Um, generally, it's kind of like an acquaintance thing on Facebook. Uh, on Twitter, it's usually you're conversing with a bunch of random people over a, you know, 30, 30 word, uh, not 30 word, 30 letter sentence, however many of the characters, 140 character limit. So we're just conversing, but not really even conversing, we're just kind of talking these points. And so how, how does language play into this? How, um, how does, how does our biases, um, you know, play into the social media stuff that we're seeing. And the first thing is, uh, let's see, let's talk a little bit about the principle of first mention, I believe it's called. And so this principle is um, when someone hears something for the first time, that is what they consider the truth. So we talk about this a lot with parenting. And so if you talk to your kids about sex for the first time, say, you know, sex is between um, a man and a woman who love each other. And so the kid, every other thing that he hears after that about sex, he's going to put um, the what he first heard as the truth and everything else he's going to, uh, you know, he's going to see it compared to what that base is. Um, he's going to judge everything off of what his base is from that principle of first mention from that first mention. And so this is the principle. And so I think this is a lot of what happens on social media and in life in general. And here's a little example for you. So if you're listening to Fox News, you can, you know, substitute whatever news station you want. But for my example, we're going to say Fox News. Someone goes on Fox News, listen to a nine day, nine day, and, um, they first come across somebody talking about institutional racism. And the first thing that they talk about, uh, whoever the commentator is, they say, you know, they give all these negative things around institutional racism is false. Institutional racism is this, it's this, it's this, and this. And so whenever that person goes onto social media or hears other channels talking about institutional racism or any politician or uh, influencer, they're going to base it off what they first heard um, and what they consider truth. So if you watch Fox News, I'm not hating on people who watch Fox News, um, but if you do, and that's the only source or mainly one of the sources that you have, you already have trust with that um, source. And so you're going to trust that first. And so your first mention of institutional racism is going to be based on that. And then everything else that you hear is going to be um, judged from that base and so so you have this wall that's what it is it's a wall that you put up this principle first mention it's a wall and that's not necessarily a bad thing um 
but it is a thing and it can be bad. And so with this institutional racism example, um, say you're trying to go on Facebook and your friend posts about institutional racism and they're like, we have a serious problem. Like this is how, um, how much the black community is infect affected by this institutional racism. And so we need to do something about it. Um, or they share, you know, an article and give a comment and then you're like, the first thing that you do is you want to tell them that they're wrong because you know that you're right and what you believe is true is different from what they believe is true. And so you automatically start off on a bad foot just because they use the word institutional racism. And what you have to think about institutional racism is a lot of things um, that you've heard or studied. Um, and so now, just because of the word that the person used, you have this barrier um, that it's hard to get over. So you're fighting, uh, you're fighting with this whole aspect of institutional racism and you're trying to converse or you're trying to prove someone wrong um, because of all this buildup you have on this one word. And so this is a super interesting thing with the language that's happening. Um, with institutional racism, uh, you can say white privilege, white supremacy, racism in general. Uh, what else is there? I don't know. You can even throw in just general American history into that category. Uh, there's so many different things that we have a perspective on already due to our upbringing, due to, you know, the religion we we uh, subscribe to due to our life experiences, due to just name it, we have a lot of things going for us, a lot of things that we've built up. Um, but let's focus in on this, this wording for a second. Uh, so when I first heard about the word or the phrase white privilege, um, I actually remember exactly where I was. I was working at my startup and I was like, oh, interesting. And so the first thought that I had was that I don't get why it's white and why I, I think I assumed that I had privilege because, you know, of the color of my skin. And so I read an article, read a couple articles, read a few articles, <laughs> and it was pretty difficult to read um, because my first my first response to it was defensive um, because it was, felt like a personal attack to me because part of my identity as being, you know, a white man. Um, and so in order to get past this word, in order to get past uh, my defenses that I had built up um, just by, you know, being raised, um, just by being alive, I already had defenses. And so I, for, I felt personally attacked, even though no one was technically personally attacking me, which is really interesting. Um, but as I continue to dive in and continue to... Um, read articles and ask questions, you know, it was more than just like the color of my skin that gave me privilege. Uh, you know, we talked about, you know, the word contains so many different things. So white privilege in general, you know, you have, you have this historical context, you have, you know, in America, we have slavery and Jim Crow and segregation, um, and all these different things. And then, you know, we have, uh, you know, 19, was it 1968 Civil Rights Act? I think 68. Um, 
anyways, we have Civil Rights Act, we have uh, Voting Rights Act, we have, you know, women get the right to vote, we got all these different things, industrialization, we have, <laughs> the 60s were crazy. Um, but the point is that there's so much history and so many things uh, packed into this one word that people have been using to try to define a current reality um, that white people live in and black people don't live in uh, or other minorities don't live in. And so, yeah, there's just a lot of things to read in order to kind of get this vision for what other people meant when they said that word. And there are things that, you know, today where I stand, <laughs> I see a lot of what people say when they say white privilege. Um, do I agree with it all? No, I don't. Is that okay? Yes, it is. Um, but when someone just posts this loaded word, uh, a loaded word, just like institutional racism, white privilege, uh, whatever, there are loaded words. Um, and it's hard to get past those loaded words in order to have conversation. And I think a lot of times we have these conversations with people where they talk about, um, white privilege or institutional racism. Um, and most of the conversation is trying to even see where people are coming from, trying to see what they mean by the words that they say. And I was conversing with a friend on Instagram um, yesterday, I think, and, oh, I just hit my camera. <laughs> um, yeah. A friend. I was talking with a friend, and she was just saying how we get hung up sometimes on the language, um, but I... I responded something like, I think it's important the language that we use because you could say institutional racism and inside of that word, you know, you have history and you have, um, you know, what our current reality is based on that history. And then we also have solutions or like what proposed solutions um, that we could do, like, do we fix it? from a national or a state or a city level, or how do we fix it individually or community perspective? And so like inside of this one institutional racism or even white privilege, whatever, uh, the buzzword, the loaded buzzword has a ton of things. So like in order for us to actually move to uh, hearing and seeing each other, we kind of have to go back and forth on what we mean by these words um, and see where we agree, where we disagree. Uh, and just how we get from all these different perspectives into an actual conversation um, that is fruitful and is is good to have. Um, it's worth having on social media instead of just yelling at each other like white privilege doesn't exist or white privilege doesn't exist. It's like, okay, so what do you mean by that? How do you dig into that? Um, what does that mean for me today? In you know, 2020 compared to 1960 or compared to 1920. Like, what does this mean? Um, there's a lot of stuff packed into it. So we have these words. We have uh, institutional racism, whiteness and white privilege and um, all these things that are heavy loaded words, which is fine. Like, we need to use language um, that we can discuss big topics with, so we simplify down. We always have to simplify, and that's fine. But I think for a lot of people getting into conversations, it's hard to get into them because of the principle of first mention that I mentioned earlier. <laughs> um, and the narrow opinion, the narrow perspective um, 
the narrow knowledge we have on those things that we talk about, uh, you know, like institutional racism. So we have these opinions that people have given us until we take those opinions as is, um, instead of diving deep into, you know, the facts or the opinions deeper in to those words. And so we have to get over this barrier or we're just going to continue to talk, talk over each other, talk around each other, um, talk at each other and try to prove each other wrong when we don't even know what we're talking about, when we don't even know what we're arguing about. Man. So yeah, my, my experience with the, uh, looking into white privilege and where I stand with that today, I less, my skin boils less <laughs> when I hear people say that word. Um, because I have a better perspective on what and what people mean by that. Um, but that doesn't mean I necessarily agree with what they're saying, um, but I can actually listen to them because I have that better understanding of possibly where they're coming from, if that makes sense. So one of the rules uh, that um, I want to bring into this is like how do we how do we converse on social media? And one of those is being able to articulate someone else's point of view um, to be able to sympathize with them, so that you can see their perspective, so you can have clear vision on what they're saying and what they're seeing. So that now we can go into a dialect on maybe things that we disagree with or we see differently, um, so we can communicate our different perspectives without yelling at each other. So that rule is, is taking uh, what someone else possibly believes and seeing as, a, they, as what they believe, seeing what they believe, seeing from their perspective, uh, empathize, sympathize with them um, and hear their point of view. A lot of times with social media, again, is that people will articulate point of views that have been said from a platform. So I've conversed with people about, you know, abortion or uh, things like that. And the what they say is exactly what I've heard um, people on their side of the aisle say. And so I've listened to those conversations. I've read about the, about that perspective and so I know where they're coming from I know what they're saying I know what they think because what they think is what someone else thinks um, now once we can get past that we can actually see what that person thinks or what that person believes uh, but part of seeing how someone else thinks how someone else believes uh, is reading those different perspectives um, and being able to empathize with them and where they're coming from and that's really hard to do on social media because a lot of people don't go in there to read and to listen. They go in there to argue. And, you know, that's whatever, whatever floats your boat. But if you actually want to converse with someone, it kind of, it takes work. And that's way easier to do if you have a personal relationship with them. Which, you know, that takes work too. So, let's see. We got social media, a little bit of language. Um, I want to hit on this a little bit more. Uh, the loaded words that we, we talk about and the barriers that we have to get over. As I mentioned earlier, some of these loaded words uh, and 
and you know regards to the conversations happening today um, contain contain a lot of deafness so we have history we have current reality and we have ways that we can fix the current reality or like how to do that or if we should even do that and I think a key part of this is that we can disagree on the history in some regards. We can disagree on um, how that history impacts our current realities today. I think that's okay. Now, I think we can agree on problems that we see today. So, a problem is um, we have more black people we have a disproportionate amount of black people in jail today compared to every other race. Um, is that a problem? Yes. Why is that a problem? Because no, no person should be disproportionately represented in a prison system. Um, that signifies that there's something going wrong with uh, the black community or black population. So the question is, why is that? Why is that a problem? Or how does that come to be? And a lot of people in these conversations are saying it's strictly because of racism, it's strictly because of slavery, it's strictly because of Jim Crow, it's strictly because, you know, our edu education system's poor. A lot of reasons um, about the why. About the why um, that black people are disproportionately represented in um, the prison system. Uh, you know, we can talk about the war on drugs and stuff like that, too. Uh, but the point is that rather, regardless of where we stand, we can say that there's a problem with the black community because they're overrepresented in the prison population, um, or there's a problem with the prison system because black people are overrepresented. So we can agree on that problem. Now, why that is the case, we can disagree with, that's fine. How we fix that is the biggest and the bigger issue. Uh, so we can talk about it, you know, if I'm talking to a friend, a lot of times we don't say, uh, we don't clarify what we mean by how we can fix it. So, so people are arguing from different sides, like for me, or for example, for, if you were to take me, for example, I could argue that we should fix the prison system from a national level. This should be, a, this is a national problem. We should fix it from a national level. Someone else could be like, no, this is a city problem uh, because most of the people that are getting charged are from this from city. It's the city politics, it's the policing, um, it's discrimination in the policing. Uh, so like we both see a problem, but we're arguing from different sides on how to fix it. Um, or there, someone else could be like, this is an individual problem. Why are these people, you know, doing drugs more or speeding more or committing crime more? Like, why is that? Why? Why is that happening? Um, and how can we fix it from an individual and community perspective? And so we can all be talking about these different things. And I think a lot of us agree on problems such as overpopulation of black people or overrepresentation of black people in prisons. Um, but we all have a different perspective on what level we are fixing the problem, which is perfect because we need solutions at every level a lot of the time, or like for big issues like systemic racism or um, whatever, or like the prison population, like we need 
different solutions for different aspects of society. Um, and we can disagree on how those exactly look. But the great thing about living uh, in America is that you can pursue changes at every different level that you want, that you feel called to, right? So I can personally um, become friends with my neighbors, or I can personally move to a neighborhood that's uh, less privileged or has less resources, um, or I can get involved in community, I can get involved in organizations, I can, you know, become like a city council member, or I can run for governor, or I can run for senator, or congress, whatever. You personally can get involved in the ways that you see fit to fix the problem. And I think in order to get there, in order to understand um, that we all we all have a place to make the world better. We all have a place to redeem the world, reconcile the world back into perfection um, that God made for us to raise, you know, the poor and the widow and to give people, you know, a life that isn't crap. But all in the same, nobody can make anyone do anything. And I think that's why Today, I'm recording this on July 4th. Um, that's why today's like, like today are celebrated and they should be celebrated because we have freedom. And, you know, a lot of people have problems with America. Great. America's an amazing country and a lot of people have grown. Like capitalism in America has changed so many people's lives. Uh, the amount of people in poverty today is way less than in, in America. It's way less than it's ever been. The amount of unemployment is way less than it's ever been. Um, the amount of rich people, not rich by the world standards, is out, out of the norm. The poor people in America are so rich by the world standards that it's insane. I don't have the exact numbers, but I looked at them a couple days ago. Um, it's insane. That doesn't mean that there's not problems with the system. That doesn't mean there doesn't need to be national fixes or, you know, prison, prison fixes or individual community fixes. Um, but like we need to view, we need to view reality as it is. Um, and everyone views it differently. But, you know, as a scientist um, does, you know, you can step back from your biases not fully, but a lot, you know, put your biases on hold, put your life experience on hold and look at the data, look at the science, um, look at where we are from history's point of view, from data point, the data point of view um, to see, you know, reality in a bigger perspective. Your reality is not, your, your reality is not what you grew up with. Um, your reality is not your one perspective, your one human perspective out of, you know, 7 billion. Um, so if we take these loaded words and, you know, we study the history, we study reality from a data, uh, data and scientific perspective, um, and we get opinions from both sides of the aisle, multiple sides of the aisle from different colors, different creeds, different religions, um, different people from different countries, whatever, uh, we can agree, I think we can agree a lot on the issues and then we can discuss fixes for that. And then, you know, some of those we have to vote on and then some of those you can do yourself with your community, um, with your friends, with your family, whatever. 
yeah, you can make a change. You can make the world more better. You can do it. Um, you're called to bring reconciliation to people, to things, to systems. Um, and you do that not by just arguing with each other, not by just talking around each other, not by getting on Twitter and tweeting a bunch of crazy things <laughs> um, or sharing a bunch of fake news, sharing a bunch of fake data. Uh, you don't do it by that. But if you want to actually change and want to actually grow, want to actually see where people are coming from to push your perspective, to push your biases um, out of the way, then, you know, you can do that by, you know, reading history, by listening to different people, different things, different um, different sources. And you can actually have conversations with people. So let's, let's go into some of these social media conversations with the perspective that uh, we aren't there to necessarily convince someone because, you know, social media has never convinced anyone. <laughs> in their perspective because of the principle first mentioned because of biases that we already have because of confirmation biases that we go through um but you can help someone question what they believe but you should also allow them to question what you believe and push each other to a better understanding a better knowledge of what's going on um, around you and in you as well let's see i had to get some water there <laughs> So we've talked a little bit about, you know, this social media issue with language, um, with all the nuance that goes into conversation. Uh, we talked a little bit about some experience that I've had uh, questioning this white privilege narrative with questioning uh, institutional racism and how, you know, language plays a big part in that. And then, yes, yeah, so we talked a lot about our history and our current reality um, and where to go from here. How do we fix it? How do we make changes from national, local, and personal and cultural perspective? How do we do that? And what is your personal responsibility in doing that? Um, and how you can gain perspective on it um, by reading and listening to different things. And so when you go into social media, let's not try to just convince people about what our um, first mentions that we know that the things that we know that we've experienced are true to everyone. Um, let's stay curious, stay low and humble, uh, and know that we are all learning and growing. No one has the market. No one has the right. No one has the full perspective, the full ownership of history. They, no one, no one owns what happened in the night. Not one person holds the whole perspective of what happened in the 1960s. Not one person holds the one perspective of what happened because of the war on drugs. No one holds the one perspective of uh, the current state of black America. No one owns those rights. We all have a part um, to play, to say our experiences, uh, our history, our current reality. Like we all have a part in that. So, this is one thing that drives me nuts when we act like one single black person has the say on all black issues or the one single conservative has the say on all conservative issues or the one single Democrat has the say on all Democrat issues. That's just a bunch of hogwash and 
it doesn't make any sense to continue, uh, you know, to perpetuate this idea that everyone is part of their main group, uh, that their white experience or the black experience or their Democrat or their conservative experience is that because that's who they are, because that's what they look like, because um, that's uh, the methodology, the uh, perspective that they adhere to. That just doesn't make sense. And part of that is like legit racism. <laughs> like, it's crazy. So, social media outrage, language, and nuance. And thank you all for joining me for my first little conversation with more better, the more better co. I appreciate y'all listening and hope that you'll find this helpful and useful um, to engage in social media and, you know, take a step back from, from, from arguing to actually listening to actually being aware of where you're at and um, where your, your debater is at. And so you, you can actually engage in fruitful and helpful conversation um, to one another. So stay curious, stay low. We're all learning, we're all growing, and we're all becoming better. So thank you all for watching. Bye.